Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Friday, August 5th, 2022. When I was a teenager, I started working at a golf course. I would take care of all the golfers, helping them to get their clubs out of their car and into a cart and get them off to the first tee. And when they would finish their round, I would wash their clubs, get their clubs to the curb, and then load those clubs into the car. And from time to time, these golfers would arrive at the course with a unique job or two for me to do along with my colleagues. Sometimes they would ask us to take care of their car for them by parking it after they were settled, or maybe they would ask us to call ahead at another course for them so that they could play another 18-hole round in the afternoon. And they wanted us to do this while they were playing so that they could jump in their vehicle and drive to their next destination without any hassle once they were done at our course. Do you know what motivated me and my colleagues to do this kind of work with great diligence and confidence? When the gentleman who asked us to do it said, I'll give you an extra 50 bucks if you guys help me to get this done by the time I'm finished on hole 18. For those next four plus hours, we were pumped. We would do the work with joy. We wouldn't get flustered with other jobs or customers that went sideways. And why? Well, because we were confident that no matter what happened, we were getting 50 bucks, which meant at the very least I was driving to the Tasty Freeze to get a large peanut butter cup flurry with extra peanut butter cups when I was done with my shift. Well, today we're reading about the guarantee of the resurrection of our bodies because of our confidence that Christ was resurrected. How should this reality change the way we look at the work that Christ has for us to do today? He will come back again soon, and with his return, we're going to get something much better than a crisp $50 bill. Let's dive into our New Testament reading in 1 Corinthians 15, 29-58. Right out of the gate, I want to make a note about verse 29, which says, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Obviously, the context for this verse, as we read yesterday, is the resurrection of the dead, those in Christ having their bodies being physically resurrected at some point in the future. Now, this passage is a strange passage, and we don't know exactly what Paul is referring to here, but we can know what he's not referring to based on the entirety of Scripture. He is not saying that we can perform a baptism for someone who is dead in the hopes that they will somehow be saved after death. That's simply not possible and doesn't comply with the finality of death and judgment that is presented in Scripture. What I think Paul might be saying is this. There were probably people getting saved and being baptized based on the testimony and example of believers who had already passed away. He is saying that if those who are dead aren't going to be raised again, and there is no hope after death, then why would they be a powerful testimony to those who are living? Again, this is a difficult verse to interpret, but I believe, given the whole counsel of Scripture, that is a possible interpretation. In verses 35 through 49, Paul uses various means to explain the resurrected body. And in verses 42 through 44, I want to know how he describes the differences between our new body and the old. First, the new will be imperishable. No more death or sickness. How good does that sound? Often, and for good reason, we think of the spiritual benefits of being with Christ in glory for eternity, but we should also think of what those spiritual benefits mean for our new body as well. 
And then next, it will be glorious. We will not be corruptible in our new body. No more shame due to sin. Our body will pull us toward righteousness and not sin. What a glorious thought in the sense that we wake up every day and our bodies now pull us toward sin. We have this flesh. It will be the opposite when we have our new bodies. This new body will be powerful and not weak. And our new body, it will be spiritual and not natural. We will not have the limits of our natural body. Those limits will be removed, limits of this natural world. And then Paul goes on to say that Adam's body was the model for our human body, the prototype, so to speak, but Christ's is the model for our resurrected body. Paul says in verse 49, just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Starting in verse 50 through the end of our passage today, this is such an encouraging passage. I can picture Paul saying in the spirit of our own pastor, Ben, let's go. Let's read what it says. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death. Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Just like a mom who stops their kids before leaving for an important event and says, you can't go out looking like that. Paul says, you can't go to heaven with a body like that. We must be changed before we can be in the internal presence of Christ in bodily form. One day, Christ is going to come back to get his church. We refer to this as the rapture, and this was a mystery to the Old Testament prophets. The whole church age was a mystery to the Old Testament prophets, as they most likely thought of Christ, the Messiah's, coming as a two-for-one. They didn't think Christ would come twice, first as the suffering servant, and second as the ruling, judging king. They thought that was going to happen all at once. And we see some of that confusion as we read in the New Testament about Christ coming on the scene and being Emmanuel, God with us. So because of this mystery of the church age, the rapture wasn't in view either. But we know from New Testament passages like 1 Thessalonians 4 that this is an imminent event for New Testament believers, something that we look forward to, something we cry, Maranatha, O Lord, come. We're going to go up in an instant, is what Paul says, the trumpet will sound, noting the end of the church age. And Paul joyously taunts death, saying, where is your victory? Where is your sting? And he's most likely quoting Isaiah 25, 8 and Hosea 13, 14. And his final, therefore, is a rally cry, not only to the Corinthians, but also to you and me. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
because we can look ahead to these future realities with confidence, we can be steadfast, Paul is saying. You and I can be firm and unwavering in our convictions, staying on task and making disciples as Christ commissioned us. And we can be immovable, Paul says, regardless of the threats to our earthly bodies, threats to stop doing the Lord's work or else, we can keep going, knowing that death has lost its sting with the resurrection of Christ, that he defeated death on our behalf and one day in the future, our bodies will rise as well. And then he says, we can be abounding. You and I can pour ourselves out with the work of the Lord. We can expend these bodies for the work of the Lord, knowing that someday we'll receive a new one that is designed to worship and glorify God for all of eternity. And we can be confident in the investment. Our labor is not in vain. We are not to be pitied because guess what? Christ did rise and everything is going to happen exactly as the Lord said in his word. Now let's go back to this idea that death has lost its sting. The only reason that we can be confident in that truth is because Christ died and rose again. And why did he have to die on the cross? Because of our sin. He died to pay the penalty of the sin of those who put their trust in Christ Jesus. And he rose again to defeat death, thus removing its sting for those in Christ. And we should have that in the background of our minds and hearts as we read more about the temple dedication in 2 Chronicles 2, 6 and 7. A major theme that runs through these passages is that God is holy and we must approach him with humility and then repent if we sin. And today's passage offers a bit of foreshadowing as we know that Israel will sin and the temple will eventually be destroyed. May today's reading remind us of the importance of humility and repentance as we walk in obedience to the scriptures and walk worthy of the calling of Christ. As we dive into today's passage, like yesterday, Solomon is kneeling and praying to God to dedicate the temple by praying to him. He asks God to help them in different scenarios. And then it says in chapter 7, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The scene of dedication when the fire comes down to consume the offering and sacrifices, it's very similar to when the tabernacle was dedicated if you read Leviticus 9, 23 and 24. Now in chapter 7, verse 11, we see the Lord appear to Solomon and speak to him. This could have happened a while after Solomon completed the temple. Here God is going to confirm that he has heard Solomon's prayer. Then in verses 13 through 16, the Lord says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among the people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. The Lord reminds Solomon how his people should properly approach him in prayer with a humble heart and with a repentant heart. At this time, both Solomon and God's people would have a healthy fear of the Lord. They saw how God provided this amazing temple and they witnessed the fire coming down to consume the sacrifices, probably reminding them of the awesomeness of God and Israel's entire history, including their exodus from Egypt, provision in the wilderness, and the entrance into the promised land. This is a good
good reminder and gut check for us. Do we have a prayer life that is consistently approached with humility and honesty about our sin in light of this awesome God that we serve? The warning that God gives Solomon in verses 19 through 22 should be a warning to any of us who think that we can live a life of disobedience to God and not have consequences. If we are a child of God, we will experience corrective discipline from God to turn our attention to our sin and how it has offended our holy God. This passage says, But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you. And this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to the land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all the disaster on them. This warning should be even more heavy for us who live in 2022. Those of us who can look back and see that this is exactly what happened. Israel was exiled and the temple was destroyed. And when it happened, it was tempting for Israel to play the victim. The Babylonians came and took them from their houses. They destroyed their city, including the temple. But if they look back at this conversation right here between God and Solomon, they would remember that they weren't victims. They were the perpetrator. How often do God's people today experience discipline from God as a consequence for unrepentant sin and try to play the victim? Now, a side note, not every difficult situation in your life is a direct result of sin and not every difficult situation is discipline from the Lord. See the book of Job. But sometimes we do experience consequences and discipline from the Lord. And when we do, may we not give into the temptation to play a victim It tends to feel like the world's love language in 2022 is being a victim. Victims of culturally defined injustice are raised up and honored as the most important people, even if their victim status was attained by simply not getting what they want. It seems like the more that you can make the case for being a victim of something, the more valuable you are in our culture, the more attention that you can draw to yourself. May that never be the case for us who are in the body of Christ. May we remember who our God is, and come before him with a heart of humility and repentance when we sin. May we remember that the greatest victim of injustice was Christ, who was the only perfect person to live, and he was murdered on a cross for our sins, for our sins. We are not the victim, we are the perpetrator, and we must repent before a holy God. So today, as we, believers in 2022, reflect on these two passages, may we get excited for the work that God has before us today. To steal another phrase from Pastor Ben from this past weekend, we are in a win-win situation. God has given us every means to accomplish the task of making disciples on earth, and he has removed the sting of death through Christ's atonement and resurrection so that even if we should die in this work, it is gain. If Christ's resurrection isn't true, then yes, we should be the most pitied. But it is true. He really did rise. And because it's true, we should be the most motivated people on the planet. Let's go. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. Pastor Ben Blakey will be back on August 22nd. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.